Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast, mobile podcast station. I've got uh, Frank Longcarch here with me yep. on this journey. We are traveling back from a consult in Kansas today, central Kansas, yep. about central on the crosshairs as you can get. Pretty when much, it comes to Kansas. yeah, on the west east side. Excuse me, west side of the Flint Hills and cool thing about this consult is i was able to bring my son today yes my son caleb he's 18 thinking about a career in wildlife management wanted to see what this was all about make sure that his old man is not full of hot air yep yep that way he can cross check it with you to make sure that you know you have a professional actually you know, he can say, "Hey, Dad, you are you do kind of know your way yeah. around these things." Matt, yeah. Matt, and you were kind of talking the same language, so you know, it's not all just crazy. You know, I can listen to your advice, uh-huh. you know, and take it and apply it. Maybe just on the wildlife side of things, you know, he's a teenager still, so yeah, maybe oh, just yeah. in that realm of life. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now he's a good kid. He's a good kid. I'm glad you got to come along. That I was am fun. too. I know, and that's uh, oh, he's still gonna get quizzed later on too. Oh yeah, he doesn't know yeah, he's yet. gonna pass his quiz. He thinks we're gonna do podcast and then get dropped off and go home. No, not yet. Nope. But uh, no, it's 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 always fun to kind of get that additional exposure and uh, you know, kind of just know hey what what kind of potential careers and such is is out there and then kind of just kind of get into your world every day too of um kind of the way your your brain thinks and uh how we begin to look at different landscapes and it's not the first trip for him out to kansas in this area i know you guys bird hunted out this way but you know trying to really switch gears from not just a a consumer of a resource, but a producer. Yeah. And what does it take to produce you know, those those um, opportunities on a given piece of property? Yeah, it so. gives you a different perspective. Yeah. Of of many things. One, how how difficult it is sometimes to to grow these critters that you wanna that you wanna hunt. What the effort that it takes, and it makes you, I think it makes it makes me appreciate it more. To know that that the habitat work that goes into it pays off with a mm. kill at the end, whether it's you know it's quail or, or, or whitetail or wild turkey or whatever it is, um, it gives you a, a different perspective when you can see the process from the beginning to the ultimate end, which is which yeah. is a harvest. Absolutely, and I think from just a, that landowner standpoint too is, you know when. Uh, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit deeper into the podcast, but when you're not getting an immigration from surrounding properties when it comes to some of the goals of, you know, producing and harvesting um, game birds, less such as pheasant and quail like this property had on one aspect of it, you really, it comes down to you. Like yep. you're you're not just oh this is a good neighborhood like a lot of people buy rec ground and well this good de- neighborhood you know, deer hunters don't have to think about that really from a or is there even just going to be game here there's deer everywhere mm-hmm. right when they concerned about like is this a good neighborhood for you know encountering older age class of deer that's their biggest concern yep but in this side of things it was 
you know, I realize that I have to be a producer of this resource if I want to be a consumer of it. And that changes that perspective of, um, you know, how you how you look at a landscape because you start doing it way more critically. You don't think about just November and December chasing birds. You think about producing them in April and May and June and what it's actually going to take to have those successful time yeah. frames. Yeah, those, you know, that that's a, that all goes back to property selection there there oh, yeah. that's a very Woo. critical especially with with these fairly immobile species like game birds i mean mm-hmm. we think of deer as pretty mobile they can colonize a pretty wide landscape and 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 quail and pheasants they 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 can they can colonize new landscapes but certainly not to the level deer and turkey can so if you want if you're wanting to manage for these game bird species but there's none in the neighborhood doesn't matter if you buy a piece of ground in there and put in all the tricked out habitat you can if there's no birds around from which to colonize yep then you know you've done good work something's going to benefit mm-hmm. but you know your ultimate goal won't so you've got to be pretty careful when you're when you're selecting a piece of property are there birds in the neighborhood are there places from which I can draw once I get my habitat on the ground and there's little bit of a situation like that with with this gentleman on on, on one piece of ground with this console we just got done there was yep. there's still some remnant birds there so he's not in a bad situation but he's certainly not you they're know not thriving they're not there thriving yet. there but but certainly if he if he does the work on the on this one piece of ground he'll he'll have I'm, I'm confident he can he can reach some goals of of having better bird production yeah yeah before we get into all the the points that we want to be able to share with you guys from what we learned in the field today and experienced and kind of what we were able to work with. I want to give a quick shout out to our partners at Onyx um, because that was heavily used today in the field. Multiple parcels of land um, running um, the offline maps so we always had access to them, sharing all this information off the iPad, drawing new features in for the landowner to really kind of visualize what it is we're talking about and looking at acreages and how that may, you know, change the way he's viewing, you know, tillable income and different aspects of the farm uh, from a from a management side of things. That feel that tool in the field today was was extremely valuable for us, from not only planning, from communicating our message. Uh, so and 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 I just love being able to write turn that iPad around and be like, see, this is what we're talking about. And, and, and yep. that, that true understanding, taking that 30,000-foot view uh, mindset really, really really allows you to do it. So whether you are a consultant or you are a landowner um, or just a consumer of all things land like us, definitely need to check out Onyx and become an elite member on the Onyx features. That membership gets you a lot extra goodies into the subscription. That's well worth it, and you guys need to check it out. And when you do, you can use the code LEGACY20 to get a 20% off discount from that membership. All right, so Frank, you're going to lead us on this podcast. Um, we're driving back through the beautiful Flint Hills of yeah, Kansas. One of my Cattle favorite. trucks going left and right. They're <laughs> everywhere out here now. One of my There's favorite. Deer. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite places um, really in the United States that I've been is is the Flint Hills of Kansas. Uh-huh. And so we're right in the heart of it. I've spent a lot of years trapping prairie chickens here and, and turkey hunting here and hunting prairie chickens here. So... 
it brings back a lot of memories. It's a beautiful landscape, but let's get back to this property today. It was a, we looked at two different parcels. One was a fairly big parcel, a little over 300 acres, and then we looked at one that was, uh, depending on the survey, it was anywhere between 57 acres and 61, 61 acres. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they were they're vastly different properties, and we'll break down each one. But we'll start with the with the bigger property, the 320. It had a big watershed lake in the middle of it. Ex- it explain a watershed lake real quick, because I know there's people out east who are like, yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big a watershed lake is a it's essentially a, a a large impoundment. They average. I mean, this one was the biggest one in the county. I think yep. at forty five acres yep. or something like that. But most of them are anywhere from five to to ten acres, and in, in drier country like we are in in the central part of Kansas, they have watersheds commissions where they'll come in and and they'll dam up a, a, a stream and create a watershed for water holding capacity when times are tough, when you have a drought, you always have water holding capacity from which you could pump if you need to pump water for your cattle or whatever. So you'll see these these watershed lakes or these impoundments kind of scattered throughout a lot of the western Oklahoma, or mm-hmm. western United States. Well, not, not extreme western United States, but sort of in that, that midwestern great plains area from oklahoma to nebraska to 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 kansas and and this one had a had a very had a very large one on it the cool thing about this property is the diversity of things and recreational potential that it had of course with a watershed lake you're going to have fishing opportunities and he was managing that Um, but it also had opportunities for for deer hunting for pheasant and quail hunting and also for waterfowl hunting, of course, hunting the watershed lake itself, but also a small man-made wetland that he could manipulate um, through water drawdowns mm-hmm. and and fill-ups. And it was it was a really cool. I was struck by the by the recreational potential. He just didn't have a piece of land and said, "Okay, I'm going to have this land for deer hunting, or I'm going to have this land for for bird hunting." He was he had a, 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 a spot where he wants to trick out to have a, a monster dove shoot every year. Of course, he's got his little yeah. wetland. He was really trying to make this place utilizable. I don't know if that's a word. It is now. U- okay, usable. <laughs> trying to make this place usable 365. Yeah. You know, something that he can do on his property, 365. Not just show up to deer hunt, not just show up to turkey hunt, but a potential to have a fun time the year round. Yeah, and, and I see this becoming more and more common, and, and I'm so jazzed up about this becoming commonplace. Gentleman didn't live on the property, but but lived and and professionally had a job in the city, okay, and had young kids. They wanted to expose to. Um, that's cows. I thought that might have been a big wad of turkeys over there. Sorry. Yeah. But one, to expose them to the outdoors to just have that, hey, go run and play or, hey, let's go recreate together and enjoy this property. So this was, on this specific parcel, too, a very much a family-oriented um, mindset and activities that this property, one, could afford them as a family. But, like, today was a gorgeous day. 
mid sixties yeah, or upper sixties, clear sky for Kansas, pretty much no wind. Yeah. And it was amazing outside. We get out of the truck after driving several hours and park and there's kids screaming and yep. running and playing in the yard, doing what kids should be doing. I don't know, probably ages anywhere from seven to twelve, yeah. something like that. Yeah, but just kids actively playing outside. And it was like I don't I, I don't know how I don't know how often that happens anymore, right? Right. And it's kinda sad to see, but it reminded me of my childhood. Yeah. I had cousins that lived close. I think there were some relatives in the in the mix of the children playing. Yep. yep. And it was like you kinda honestly heard them at, throughout different portions of the console today just playing. You could yeah. deep in the property and you're like there's going to be so many amazing memories that happen here on this property with the with regard to the the approach of multi-species, multi-recreational hunting opportunities that can be not a hey, dad's going to go to the blind tonight and try and shoot a hammer of a deer, right? right. And I'm not take, trying to take anything away from deer hunting. I love deer hunting. But it can tend to be and uh, a, a more isolated type activity. And so this approach here for this property and all the opportunities that provided, like they're making a conscious decision of we want high level of activity, like kind of like that high catch rate scenario when it comes to fishing, right? Mm-hmm. We're not mm-hmm. trying to catch trophy fish. We just want to be able to duck hunt. We want to be able to goose hunt, you know, pheasant, quail, we want to be able to deer hunt, and we're going to have an amazing dove hunt to kick off the, the whole season, and that's what we want to do. And by golly, we're going to do it. Yeah. So that approach was just awesome. So I commend him for, for, for that. Yeah, that was, that, was, that, was really, that was really a cool sight to see those kids out there playing and running around and to know that they're going to have the potential to grow up and, and ride the Can-Am down and go fishing or, yeah. you know, along the lake. But it was, it, it brought it brought to mind that there are a lot of those opportunities I think out there that people may overlook. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was taking this piece of property which had a lot of farm ground on it. He was going to sacrifice some of it. And I say sacrifice in the name of taking some of it out of production. Yep. You know, to to have a little dove shoot. You know, you know they may only shoot it once or twice in a year you know opening day and maybe another weekend or two but it was a family thing where they can have their where they can have all of their relatives there have a cookout and he was just as much jazzed up about this dove shoot as he was about shooting a deer yeah and and so so he was thinking outside the box there okay okay where matt frank where can we have a killer dove spot where's the best place for this and then so that was sort of at the at the later end but the first part is like, have this old farm pond situation yep. that it no longer holds water. There's a break in the dam. You know what? I want to make a moist soil uh, wetland out of it and yep. manage it for ducks. We've got this watershed lake. It's pretty pretty much adjacent to yeah, this watershed it was lake. A, it was adjacent to the watershed lake. The only problem with the watershed lake is it was silted in and there was really no food. It's a place for ducks can loaf yep. and rest during the day. But there's really no food value. So he recognized he needed to have something there, uh, a managed wetland where he can have food. So he took this old 
dried this old silted in farm pond and is going to make it a managed wetland now a, a fantastic idea um, so he's looking at it from a lot of different a lot of different uh, visions and directions mm -hmm. um, he there was some some cool he had this he had a, a, one of the local biologists come out and, and give him some ideas on on what to do with respect to maybe doing some native grass plantings around the field edges and, and he was starting some of that but we were able to really come in there and spend the time with him or maybe the local biologist because they have so many other responsibilities that they're taking care of throughout their day and throughout their week that they can't maybe spend the time with this gentleman that we could um, to get in there and, and to, to really have help him have a better understanding of Okay, not only do you want to plant a native grass mix here, that's okay, but what kind of mix do you want it to be? Do you yeah. want it to be a, a mix with tall grasses? Do you want it to be a mix with short grasses and a lot of forbs? So really dive into those nuances and those details that um, he just wasn't getting before. Well, and specifically, the details matter in regards to what he's trying to manage and produce, specifically bobwhite quail and pheasant opportunities you know, it's it's one thing where you go to a portion of the property that had been hayed for many years that is still a remnant prairie from, you know, the God's creation. Yep. And we go over there. It's like, oh, okay, that's the grass. I'm not going to do anything with it because, you know, it's, it's native and that's great. Well, it's like, yes, it's a great, it's the best start we have because it's what, it, let's say, should be, but it still needs to be managed. Like, this isn't just a mo situation. The, just because, let's say, the presence of the right species that's there doesn't mean it's in the right condition right. and form. And so that was a great, you know, uh, let's say separation between uh, the previous information provided of let's just plant some native grasses and boom, like we're going to automatically have quail because we have some native grass. No, like there's 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 finer points and details, and you did a great job of ex being able to explain that relationship of forbs, um, relationship of bare ground, the aspects of what the the native grass clumps are then providing in the life cycle of those animals, and then it's all relation to um, you know shrubby or woody cover mm -hmm. for for wintering or summer thermal cover. Yeah, and and all that at that point clicked for him yeah then i, I he, at that point he began to start talking about connectivity yep. he began to start talking about oh, okay so we would then bring this over here and and cut that and, and drag it out here and yes like yep. you could see the wheels really got turning because it's really easy for people to be able to see how or or like where they're going to be able to harvest in, in a habitat situation where they're going to be able to harvest an animal, but they don't see and don't understand in most occasions where they're being produced. Just like we talked about, like he's going to have a scenario when it comes to bobwhite quail and pheasants where mentality wise, his biggest role is going to be in a production side of things. So yeah. you had to do a, your job of, of explaining that and how yeah. the vegetation and differences in vegetation, um, and that manipulation of it was going to be able to produce that activity. Yeah, it was. It was cool to see once he understood, and that was that was a key. He 
he was listening to what we were saying, but at some point he finally understood. Yes. And so could beat us to the punch when we got to the next field or got to the next corner. He's saying, oh, I see. Well, I can do this here because he understood now. He understood how they, how all of these factors work to to make this dynamic system that he wants to create. It, Once he understood that, it was it was pretty cool. And that's that's the power of education, right? That's the power of knowledge. And so, like, we obviously want to tell people what to do through a management plan, but I I don't just want you to. I need you to know why, because if you know why and. And, and, and what role it plays and how it's important and why it's not equal to um, this, you know, X or doing it that way, then you're actually going to implement that, right? Yep. Most times it's really easy to just kind of take, let's say, the easy way out or just recognize, well, that's just a, a native prairie patch. Cool. It, yes, it is very cool, but to improve it, to maximize it, to trick it out, we need to do X. We're going to do it this time frame because it's lacking this, you know, prescribed fire or, or the cover component. So that's why that time in the field working with folks is a very much a visual application of, okay, hey, remember when we were over here? Now take this idea and combine it with this aspect of structure maybe. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. That's what we're creating. And I think even even his friends that were along with, they were like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. starting to well, click. That makes it, sense, yeah. That, half, yeah. Halfway through, they're high-fiving each other and talking like, you know, like this is going to be awesome. Like, we could do this here and that. Like, it, it was it was neat to watch that energy kind of rise among, among them um, because then they had clear understanding right. of what what they were going to do but most importantly, why they were going to do it. Yeah, and what, what they were going to see at the end, yeah. what what was going to be the result. And, you know, so I, I, the, the 320, the, the big property, ha- has, has a lot of potential for, for multi-species management. Um, and he's, he's well on his way. And I, and I loved, again, I loved how he was thinking outside of the box. How could he maximize his recreational potential on this piece of ground, yep. So not just deer, not just quail. Let's have a dove shoot. Let's let's manage for waterfowl, whatever. And we were, and he was he not quite had written off that piece of ground for deer hunting, mm-hmm. but he had had he had had poor luck with seeing daytime movement of deer on this piece of property. But it but we were able to take him to a certain piece of ground. A certain point on this property and explain to him this is the x this is where you're going to kill a deer and this if you do this and this is why and then he got really excited because now then not that he had written this piece of property off for deer but he he had almost he had almost said okay this is going to be you know multi-use thing i'm really going to kill my deer over here on this 50 61 acre piece of ground but you you were able to clearly show him no don't write this piece of ground off you yeah, may be able to yeah. kill a monster right here that was a cool that was I a, think I thought that was fun I think it's really easy for for people to if you will kind of like compartmentalize different aspects of a property and and essentially 
based on observations or the lack of observations put expectations yep. let's say on parcels of ground on um, portions of a parcel and just then begin to say well it's the best use or the most recreational value is going to be through x so you know i'll just forego the deer well it's like actually how about we think of it like this you can still recreate and do the quail, do the waterfowl, because that's was one of the yeah. questions before we went out in the field. Like, okay, give me the time frames in which those activities, whether it's seasonality, when they come in, or when you're generally chasing them the most. So I want to know your activity across the property, when it's going to be highest. Then, in like, it's like in relation to um, deer hunting and keeping this thing secure. Because if you're not familiar with Central Kansas, you're going to realize that cover generally is very limited. Mm-hmm. So, like, they had some cover, but we talk about a lot. Because of the other recreational features on the property, it currently and in the past has not been secure cover that deer could be utilizing during the daylight hours, right? So, like, they weren't really choosing to bet on this property. It was an, a, an, a destination, but, like, after dark, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So. We didn't change the way that they were going to recreate or, or the timing of, okay, you know, yeah, of course you can still shoot waterfowl here. Oh, yeah, of course you can still bobwhite quail and pheasant hunt uh, during certain portions of the year. But what I want you to be thinking about from a um, deer hunting standpoint is there's going to be times and windows in which this property shines, but make sure from a recreational standpoint that you're not just cutting through the center of the property to do all these other activities mm-hmm. and right. preparation. I just need you to loop around and use the gravel road, keep the center of this thing as secure as possible because we've got, or we're going to add connectivity to the the center of this thing and, and really make a highly used travel corridor and on one side of the property it backs up to a neighboring place that's got a lot of cover that a lot of deer bed down during daylight hours but now on the other side that in the past has been the kind of this isolated block of cover that they just kind of blew through because it was more convenient to drive that way yep, yep. that hasn't could be utilized as secure cover but really isn't often done We've changed that game, and that, again, is more or less just a way in which that they are navigating through. So having distinction between primary roads and secondary roads and the timing of that travel is then going to change how and when deer are going to utilize it. So still have all these recreational opportunities, but there was a couple places um, deer hunting-wise where it's going to be shooting a fish in a barrel. They don't have another option, and that access was going to be more unconventional we're going to use the we're going to we're going to go by by sea right we're going to go yeah, yeah. and use the uh yeah, yeah. the waterfowl uh or the, excuse me the the water uh reservoir yep. and and cross it to get on the backside and blow your wind directly across the reservoir into absolute no man's land yep and hunt it like that and get to like that that x close to the cover yeah they really got jazzed up about that because they saw that that was almost an unhuntable piece from from that yeah. access standpoint and and but then when they say we said hey grab a kayak mm-hmm. and um, jump in there and and paddle, hunt it that way they across. were like dang that sounds awesome yeah 
Yeah. Everyone wants to be that Navy SEAL. <laughs> yeah. 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 <coughs> but so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it's it's really this kind of goes into another topic, but I think I think that's maybe a good transition time frame. But it's it's really easy for landowners. He I think he's owned this place for a year and a half to two years now. Um, maybe two hunting seasons, but a year and a half time frame. Um, to to put a property within a box of like potential and based on your own again observations the the regional land use mm-hmm. and and just say well let's just say i see it more times than not that landowners settle instead of like let's say reach for the stars and trying to grasp the potential of each property yeah it's very yeah. much undershot from what they think it can do or what they think it can be because they either aren't um, educated on the land use side of things. And I don't mean that negatively whatsoever. I, I mean it from don't look at it for the way everybody else is operating it because if you want to achieve something that that majority of people aren't achieving on a recreational piece of ground you can't manage it in the way that everybody else is managing that's right, that's right. and expect different results like yes. that's not fair that's not how this works like if you want an optimal experience then you darn sure better be managing differently from neighbors from um you know the, the typical farmer i was at a property here recently in kentucky and I asked them a point blank question. And I said, when you zoom out and you look at this property on OnX, who would you say owns that farm? And they kind of looked at me and I said, okay. They looked at me kind of confused. And I was like, let me ask it this way. Does a crop farmer own this farm or does a recreational deer hunter own that farm? And they looked at her like, yeah, I guess it looks like a crop farm. It just, it lacked cover. And yeah. it was very much... From a land use standpoint, heavy, 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 90% food, and then the food option wasn't very, it wasn't great. It had some good windows, but it wasn't maximized. Right. And I was like, you pay the land note, you determine what this ground is for. If you have restrictions to help pay for it that need to involve um, you know, some income from the property. Fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you tell me you want recreational opportunities that are that blow the the pants off, you know, this the neighborhood, then let's do it. Yeah. You're gonna have to forego some of that probably income potential that the place has. And when you say, hey, it, hopefully, you know, you're in a situation where you can you can you don't rely fully on that income standpoint. And there's some give and take, and there's some sacrifice. If that's the if that's the option, then let's get silly with the way we manage. Or let's think outside the box. Let's yep. get creative. And and I, I don't want to just like again just just do X because you know that's what some other folks have do, done. Like we were talking about doing some crazy things, um, you know, in the uh, in the field. 
Yeah. You know, today. Yeah, there was this really came into play, especially on the on the 61 acres. It was it was mostly crop ground that had a a corridor of timber that ran through. It was a creek. It was a riparian area, but the creek mostly had a few scattered cottonwoods, but it was mostly hedge. Um, the creek was dry for the most part, uh, but the the corridor was didn't have a whole lot of herbaceous cover. There wasn't a lot of sunlight getting to it. In places where they had some windfall or some or some flood damp, some floods had knocked down some trees. There was some good cover, and we were able to show him what good deer cover looked like from a bedding thicket standpoint and mm-hmm. what we wanted to see during for the the hunting time of the season. But the thing about it was, was his corridor that ran through his property looked just like the corridor that that was on, just looked just like his neighbors. So there was yeah, there was yeah. no reason for deer to stop on his place. It was just a way to move through. So there was no compelling reason for deer to bed on his place versus his neighbors, to con- to feed on his place versus his neighbors. It was just a way to, for deer to get from point A to point B. And if you happen to be there at the right time, at the, on the right day, maybe you could kill a good deer because he's just using that corridor to get from one place to the next. We had to, it didn't take a lot of convincing at all, but we had to help him look outside of of, of his 61 acres and say, yep. okay, look at, the, look at the landscape around you. What can you do to make your place different to hold deer when the hunting season gets here, when the hunting pressure is off, going on in your neighbors how can you get deer then to suck into your place and now you're the x on the map and everybody every deer wants to be where you're at and once he grasped that and got that which was really really quick then then yeah then the opera then he was thinking man the opportunities to make this a real deer killing spot just exponentially rose yes yeah just with a little bit of I mean, it's going to be a lot of work. We we talked about creating bedding thickets, and pretty much a whole corridor of a of a bedding thicket essentially is what it's going to be. But um, how can? But he also wanted to have quail and pheasant on this place. So how can we incorporate that in there and still make it good and huntable for deer? Or mm-hmm. what, how can we manipulate what kind of grass species to use? So on this place, we wanted to make sure that the deer weren't bedding in in the taller grass we wanted to force the deer to bed in that riparian corridor so our recommendation is on your native grass on his native grass planting to use little blue stems side oats grandma some shorter forbs to still have great quail and nesting and pheasant nesting habitat but to pretty much ensure the deer were not will not bed there or on that, or, or, or on that portion, ba- based on the access, right? Yes, but and it was an all it was all based on access because yes. we had to look step back and say, okay, how can you how can he access this property to kill deer um, based on different winds? So there was a lot of nuance with this piece of property. That was the cool thing mm-hmm. is there was a lot of nuance. But it was don't forget turkeys though either. Yeah, there's yeah. an opportunity for turkeys on Absolutely. that place. Absolutely. Which I kick myself now as we moved 
um, that alfalfa field, those cottonwoods, now that I think about it, are in, like, perfect position just to pitch right down to that alfalfa. Yeah. You know yeah. what? I totally forgot to mention that to him. Yeah. But I think back, I'm like, oh, sugar. That's yeah. going to be good. I think you'll figure it out pretty quick. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> I think you'll figure it out pretty quick. But there was a lot of nuance there, and, and that's one of the things that I think we bring to the table that that people that just don't do this stuff every day and we this is something we do every day so we have the opportunity to learn by trial and error to look and observe these nuances and think about these nuances and figure out you know not all native grass and four mixes are the same Mm -mm. maybe we wanted to use a tall one for some reason and so we are going to recommend a tall mix for for a screen around his property but we're certainly not going to recommend a tall mix for the interior of his property where he's going to have more quail and pheasant habitat. So there's yeah. just a lot of nuances there that, that um, you know, are hard to grasp, you know, for, for the average landowner that just doesn't do this every day. Yeah, and, and that's obviously at no fault to him. He's a very, very intelligent person, um, a, a professional in, 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 his, um, in his world what he's doing we're just extremely blessed to be able to do this and see you know how x applies to x in this situation and make these decisions in the field and then you know critique them as we're talking through you know the plan and producing yeah. the plan in the, in the in the weeks to come um to say hey this is the end goal this is what we're pushing forward um with but we need these components in this condition and manage an x way to be able to get this result that you're that you're wanting because this is the best use for the property this is the best use for each specific acre and again i don't i I think sometimes like if you will i I think the approach is generally try and ride the line of intensity and out of the box thinking with each person, each client in each region that we go to. It could be Florida, it could be South Georgia, it could be um, Northern New York or Wisconsin. It doesn't matter, but like, don't, there's, there's not a mold that let's say we work within, but if there, if there was a mold of a neighborhood, I just want to break it. I don't even, I don't even want to look at it mm-hmm. and say, well, that's, that's kind of what we're shooting for. Generally speaking, no, I want to create something that that you're that you haven't necessarily seen before, yep. because yep. that is what's going to take this thing to the next level. And it, and it is intense, yep. um, but I promise, if you do eighty percent of it, you look back and say, "Holy junk, that was so worth it." I yep. still got twenty more percent to go, and that twenty percent is taking things to a fine detail level, a very nuanced situation. We, you know, we get down in the field today. We talk about, you know. Okay, no, I want you to literally spray out in the center of this uh, drainage ditch uh, a, a walking path to be able to climb up to the back of the stand. You have a mowed path right here to connect deer from this block to this block, dumping right out in front of the stand. Big mock scrape. Like, we get to that fine level, but that that extra 20% most times just is like, whoop, take it from B plus to an A, A yeah. plus type yeah. fashion. Yeah. But B plus... It's extremely good because most people would be shocked at a lot of the landscape. I'm going to give it a D yeah, on absolutely. a value standpoint. And most people absolutely. don't see that. That's, that's, that is the key is 
is most of the of the landscape that these critters are living in is suboptimal. It's subpar. Yeah. They're, by yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just they're just scraping by. And generalist species like deer are scraping by at a better level than more specialist species like Bob White. Yep. Um, or even pheasants, rough grouse, you know, these these more specialized species. So just I'm going to throw, throw wild turkeys in there now yep, yeah. from, from the lack of brood-rearing cover Absolutely. as an option for most, Absolutely. most birds. If you look around the landscape, that brood-rearing cover is gone. Yeah. It's just not there. And and so to to make, and that's what we emphasize really on this property is, is we had him look at his, the property, you know, across the road, on and then to the north of him and on each direction and 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 see what what was there what was missing and then if we if he implemented what what we suggested just think about the opportunities the cool thing about that 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 place yeah um was that there was um already some native grass in the landscape there were already probably a covey or two of birds on his neighbors yeah there was already a few pheasants on his neighbors, so he would probably have a, a quicker response from pheasant and quail um, on on this property than the bigger property because it was more isolated. Even though it was bigger, it was more isolated from from birds in the landscape. Right. Um, so you've got to look at that entire landscape and, and see what it looks like around and. And I think I think it's going to be a really and the the key to that and one one point that I wanted to make Matt and we talked about this is it was it was 61 acres so mm-hmm. fairly small from the big scheme of things yeah but if he does what we what we recommend that 61 acres is going to be so much different from the thousand acres that surrounds him yeah. that it's going to draw a disproportionate amount of wildlife. Because it is so different. Almost because obnoxious is, amount. Yeah. Well, it's what we hope. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is so different, it, it, it will provide bedding cover for whitetails. It will provide places for for um, brooding turkeys. It will mm-hmm. provide those bugging areas for turkeys. It will provide the nesting that, that quail and, and pheasant need and the needed bugging area for them. On this 61 acres, and that is... As his success grows, then the neighbors start scratch their head and say, "Wait a minute! This guy's doing something different, and he's killing big deer. He's I got quail three times out of amount of land. He's shot too good." And yeah, right. yeah. And so you start to build out a core from that. But um, it, it was it 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 shows the potential that even a small piece of ground can have in changing the dynamics of the landscape yeah as a whole absolutely it can and that's where you know the right 61 acres or the appropriately managed 61 acres for the for the goals of that property in in that landscape or i guess honestly any landscape really um where it's subpar around you you can have an impact, you can have an influence, and it can be strong. You don't have to own every single acre in a neighborhood. Does that help the more you own? Yeah, it absolutely does. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't have influence. And no, we're not saying that you're going to 
you're going to be raising a deer from four and a half, you know, from let's say a fawn to four and a half on that 61 acres. No, it's still a product of the neighborhood. But what we're saying is it can be set up and managed in a way that does produce consistency in activity and behavior from the species that you're trying to influence. And I think at the end of the day, when as a, as a hunter, as a landowner, land manager, that's ultimately the goal is to have strong influence over unless you're owning giant blocks of land, which isn't mm-hmm. feasible for most folks. Right. Then you just want strong influence over what they do, what they need, and how they, you know, move about the landscape. Right. Yeah. Like if you can have that, then you have consistency in activity that then turns into a huntable pattern a huntable strategy right if it's inconsistent then that is just frustration that's called nocturnal you know uh, pictures of of good deer that you get occasionally yes right that's not influence you're not having that over that animal right um and of course we're not trying to manage the on an individual level we're trying to manage on a population type level but at the end of the day quality habitat produces those types of results yeah yeah, just a just a, a a really cool day, and you know it was it was a real, you know every time we I do something like this, whatever part of the country I go to, I learn so much more um, than I would than I expected to learn, and stuff that helps me in future consults and helps me mm-hmm. managing our own ground. Caleb and yeah. I have eighty acres, and it, you know, the things that that. You know, I'll take some lessons back that we can put on our own ground. But, it, you know, the things that really s- jumped out is is how diverse you, you, can, you can take a property and make div- so many different diverse recreational opportunities out of it. If you just if you just think outside the box, you know, yeah. take take those opportunities like, like I, I keep going back to that. That dried up pond. That was a fantastic idea to make that a managed wetland, you know, because mallard hunting was important to him. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't think they can take, you can take two or three acres on your property and make a killer dove hunt out of it. It's it's not rocket science. It's actually pretty easy to do. Um, and it's a ton of fun. But so many people don't do it. Very, very few people do it. Yeah. It's a low-cost way to have a lot of fun. Just just think about diverse ways of doing it. And, and that these small acreages can, can have big, big results. You know, I think can. this guy will, will be really pleased and jazzed up about the type and quality and amount of deer that will begin to use the 61 acres because it's so much different once he's done then the entire neighborhood yep and it takes some time to get there it's yep. not an overnight deal there's changes that you can implement quickly that will have results um in in short order but you know when you're when you're recommending um diverse mixtures of, of natives and grasses the establishment time frames like that, that can take some time but mm-hmm. at the end of the day there's not a better use there's not a better recommendation for those acres to achieve right. what he's looking for so it's worth the wait it is it's worth the wait to do it right it and is. to not put in um you know let's say fake habitat or just poor habitat or sacrifice because it's not worth it's not worthwhile waiting like now 
we're gonna do it right, mm -hmm. and it's it's still good in the meantime. Yep. Um, we're have some short wins early on, and we're just gonna let it respond and grow into some awesome, awesome stuff and afford him, his family, and his friends some awesome recreational opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we got the invite to go back when it gets good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That. Yeah. Okay. That sounded great to me. He said we could. <laughs> Shoot mallards in the morning, covey quail in the afternoon, yep. and then fish, fish in the yep. evening. I thought, yep. hey, sounds and then, good to and me. And then it sounded like good food in the evening. Yeah, and, good and good food at night. Fellowship. Yep, so. yep, yep. I don't know about you, but Done. we've been following this semi that's got a picture of a ribeye yep. on it for like 13 miles. 13. We're getting ready to pass them. Here we good. go. Good. Because Are I am hungry, hungry <laughs> and I'm tired of looking at that ribeye <laughs> on the back of that semi because it looks too good. Woo. So thanks for passing this guy. Oh, you're Matt. welcome. I you are so it. welcome. Oh, that's funny. Well, Frank, thank you for for joining me on this console. Yep. This could be good. I know there's going to be some follow up work here too. Oh yeah. Um, from assisting the implementation of this project and overseeing some things. So um, hopefully this is not the f the last that you're going to hear about updates from this place. And because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good things to to come here in the future with this one. So, guys, I hope that this was encouraging, um, empowering for you to get out there and and impact the acres that you can and make the most of those situations. Think outside the box. Don't be limited with your own knowledge and don't be limited by what you think the region or the neighborhood um, let's say capacity or potential is it's more than what you think and if you don't know how to get there or squeeze that that last juice out of that lemon call us email us we would love to help you turn your property into a dynamic recreational opportunity for your family for your friends to enjoy just like we did today so uh, appreciate everyone listening and we'll catch you here next week yep.